back to That's So Morbid. I'm Asia and I'm Marco. Where do we start with this one? This one is really your wheelhouse, but it's something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about a topic related to art, uh, but more than the art pieces itself, we're going to be talking about the materials these are made out of, particularly pigments, deadly pigments, those beautiful little sparkly particles that enamor our eyes and intoxicate our hearts quite literally exactly all those beautiful little tubes of paint that you want to take home with you that actually could be your demise woohoo like uh, actually speaking like i'm gonna be completely honest while i was in art school you know there were certain colors that just coming out of the tube you can tell that they're like really toxic but at the same time, there's some that, like, when you pour them out, the color is so glossy and pristine that it's like, wow, that is that even looks kind of, like, appetizing, you know? Like, if if it wasn't paint, if it was, like, any other substance, like a glazing or something, my finger would be, like, already there, you know? like Definitely. I was working with oil paints in the summertime, mm. and I totally had that. There was I was using some really, like, golden yellows and oranges, and it was, like, mustard like really like a mustard line oh, coming out of the tube yeah. and there's like just that one point when you're painting with oil where like the ratio to oil and paint is just so perfectly smooth and it's like yeah, yeah. this is like mustard 100 percent. yeah okay for yeah. all our listeners that are just having uh this like brief moment of us orgasming over the thought of like mustard on our canvases <laughs> why don't you but don't eat it. That's what we're going to be talking about. But don't eat the paint because there are a lot of bad things inside. One notable example, however, is tempera. Because tempera is made by like using egg as the binder for the pigments. And that is what holds it together. And as long as the pigment is non-toxic, like uh, some vegetable... Um, Flower petals. Compound or like... Yeah, yeah. As long as the pigment is strong enough like uh, and it's organic... In theory, you could eat it. <laughs> In theory, why would you? Why would you? Well, let's talk about, let's jump off what you were saying there about the the binders and the drying agents. So what we're probably more going to be talking about are the more toxic elements that are found in those acrylic paints. So I'm, I actually have a list here that was really fun to make. So you mentioned, of course, arsenic. It's one of the biggest ones, and that's going to come up later. I'm definitely going to be getting into that one again. But these are the heavy metals. So there's a difference. There's Ooh, the heavy metals. like uh, Metallica, Pantera, you know, like there's like a... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these are the elements that are, you know, hashtag so metal. Arsenic, cadmium, chromium, copper, nickel, and lead. But and all together we're the heavy metals, guys. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but then there are some other elements that these are more in things like makeup and beauty products. Oh, the price of beauty. Yeah, yes. Well, the price of beauty, the price of art, right? So there's an element called antimony. Then there's barium, cobalt, manganese, strontium, and zinc. So you've heard of zinc because zinc actually has a function in our body. So these are elements that actually perform a function compared to those heavy metals I mentioned earlier, which don't have a physiological function for people or plants yeah don't, don't put it in your mouth Just don't put it in your mouth it's bad for don't you. put it in your mouth yeah yes so on that note where do you want to start do you want to 
do you want to pick a color and ramble on or i think we should talk a little bit about red cadmium red so uh you know this is one of the ones that is like uh notorious for how uh, deadly they are it was discovered back in the 1817 uh, by a german by a german scientist uh it was cadmium red, Ooh. which is a vibrant pigment that was discovered in the 19th century by this German guy. And you need to put the, yourself like in the mindset of an artist back then. To begin with, you only had like the pigments that were like local in your area, like all the earth tones, the ochres, the different shades of green. But for example, colors like white or uh blue like very deep shades of blue or in this case reds vibrant reds were really hard to come by you could really have to import like these expensive minerals from far in like uh, the arab peninsula like lapis lazuli have it grind up and it was like an expensive process sometimes to make a pigment like that but when that german scientist discovers arsenic it suddenly revolutionized the market and everyone is able to like start buying this paint and these colors that were like intoxicating imagine yourself as an artist back in like the 19th century and suddenly one person says hey here's a new color you can paint with like you as trying to like express yourself is like what there's a new color it just just imagine if i were to tell you hey imagine a new color it is like so out of your mind that of course you would want to try it and uh, sorry i think i got a little bit carried away uh the other thing that this cadmium <laughs> product has is that it was light fasting Light fasting means that your pigment uh, is not going to get tarnished or uh, lose its uh, strength with the contact of uh, light exposure. So this red in particular, like, it will not fade under the sunlight. Imagine this. You're an artist and suddenly there's this new color that is like it was never seen before or it was highly expensive. And it's not going to fade under the sun. So it's going to last immortality oh my god yes uh did anyone bother trying to see if it was toxic deadly or anything like that no 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 who cares who cares i want my red and i want it now yeah. so you know art is like a it's, a heavy, it's a heavy metal it's a metallica <laughs> but is there anything else combined in it it was a little bit like uh, that trying time where they were experimenting with different binders some of them which were also toxic. But then you put yourself back in the 18s, uh, in the 19th century, sorry, and anything was toxic, potentially deadly, you know? It was like suddenly you took a sharp object and, oh my God, now my arm is rotting and it's going to fall off. Or like, oh, I better brush my teeth with this urine here for the tooth fairy, you know? No. Just making them like sparkly yellow, which, by the way, there is a very prized yellow pigment that is made in India by refining cow urine. Is this very specifically traditional and amazing practice in which they feed these cows only with like, I think, I believe it was like mango leaves. So within that makes the urine to be like, like, like extra yellow, you know, and then they collect it. And that is where they make like a very specific that is really cool. Like, honestly, in the world of cows, if you're the cow that gets to eat mango leaves and pee for a living, <laughs> I'll take that job, you know? 
That's so interesting. And I totally, I totally believe that because I've had some really scary moments with my own guinea pigs after feeding them different color peppers and then noticing like, that doesn't look right. Like when I first fed them red peppers, it was, it was scary. And we've had some trips to the vet that were not, not needed, but because mom was just a worry wart, it was like, okay. But that's really interesting. It must be a very specific yellow. Because when you said India, I was thinking immediately like their spices already are quite, um, I don't know, what's Colorful. the word? Staining, like turmeric. You get turmeric on your countertop and or curry and like that's, it's it. Like it's gone. Um, so I'm, it must be a very specific kind of yellow that they, that they achieved. And uh, you know, like uh, many times it's like a, a lot of... Uh... It's almost like an internal knowledge, like of the home mm. people that like they know about these specific things that make these pigments that sometimes people out there don't know about. Mm -hmm. Like in Mexico, it's very widely, widely known that um, there is a shade of red that comes out from grana cochinilla, which is a little like a pill book that when you crush it, it turns into this vibrant red. Right. And that is widely used in a lot of food coloring in the industry. But of course, what gets to your food colorings is not always put in the labels. So right. Right. Uh, I tell like that story of that pigment to anyone. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Like eating bugs would be disgusting. And I'm like, okay, buddy. Keep enjoying your pink Twinkie. <laughs> well, at least that one's edible. I mean, it's not, I don't want any like cow pee in my, as a food coloring. Hopefully they were just using that for like textiles and I guess art or yeah, but, you know, pretty much like all of these colors, like going back to like, you either need to choose the cadmium red or, or the like uh, crush bug red mm. or like, you know, sometimes you don't have that many choices to go for certain shades or colors. Mm -hmm. uh, there's even this kind of, um, uh, well, in color theory, it's called the gamut. And imagine that is like a visualization of uh the human eye color spectrum mm -hmm. in a mathematical model. And what we can see in theory versus what we can produce with like uh, pigments and inks is widely limited. I love that. Yes. It's like when I, you and I have talked about this before, like the different animals that can see either less color, like dogs, or more colors that we can't even fathom. That just blows my mind. Well, it's pretty famous, like that the shrimp mantis has like 15 different cones of colors and can perceive like different spectrums of the light. Uh, that's that's so fascinating. And really, it really spooks me. Like that really creeps me out. And I don't know, I feel like my imagination just like shaken because it's oh, I want to see it so badly and I can't even get my imagination to get there. And, and you know what? It's like uh, almost kind of like more annoying when you think about it. Like color is just like the light that bounces off objects and gets into our retina and we can like perceive it. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is only a very precise spectrum of the of the whole electromagnetic like bigger spectrum like mm -hmm. if you go like higher i think you get like a sorry lower you get like a radio waves and stuff like that uh like microwaves like uh, gamma radiation all these different things if you were to like shift the scale of where you can perceive it and where you could not imagine all the things that we really don't see like from a philosophical point of view that is like what is the world even what is the world even? Well, okay. And that is even like, 
so I used to work for a paint company. So I used to have to work with like looking at people's um, decor and matching paint colors and that kind of thing. And my version, especially when we get into the blue, kind of blue and purple areas, you know, you hear more people say, I see purple when I was seeing a really true blue, but they were seeing more undertones or vice versa. Or, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, that's pink. No, that's red. And you're seeing those different undertones. And so what you see as blue and what I see and perceive as purple or blue is something so different. So, yeah, what is the world even? (laughs) You know, wow. I was I could like ramble on that topic, but let's yeah. ground ourselves and like leave some room to talk about arsenic. Okay. Because I think well, that arsenic was has one of the coolest stories. Abs- oh, yeah, absolutely. I think from what I've been looking at, we'll we'll go from we'll go to the opposite side of the color wheel then, from red to green. It's a good tie-in for me because I was also going to talk about why I started researching green in the first place, which was. Well, as you know, I moved to a new house this year. and Congratulations. Thank you. And I have a real live grown-up dining room that is actually a dining room for dining. And it has really big windows and it's one of the brightest rooms in my house. And so I had this vision when we were moving of how I was going to decorate it. And it really inspired me um, to look at pictures of, you know, like, Victorian conservatories like I'm picturing like Morticia you know when Morticia's like yes. cutting the rose heads off <laughs> in the Adams family out of like just like back memory that I had I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of like a you know wallpaper kind of like a, with the intricate patterns and designs and flowery well that would also be going with like the Victorians and I'm looking at patterns like green on green Ooh. patterns Ooh. Can you imagine? Because it would not be like like green on green. It would be like the same shade of green, but one is glossy and the other one is velvety. Like, mm. Yeah, or embroidered or something like that. Exactly. And then I was also inspired a little bit by like Batman's Poison Ivy. And I started looking at this, the opposition and the contrast, red and green. I love the combination of red and green. I love, so I started looking at that. I started looking at old pictures. Frida Kahlo she does a lot with like reds and pinks and greens and that kind of combination and then I was really probably the most inspired by you know those wagons that fortune tellers used to ride in when they were traveling with the circus or a fair or something oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. kind they, of like uh and like those victorian lamps with the tassels and that kind of look oh, that, that so, reminds me so much of my grandma i can almost like <laughs> i know like like, like that smell of like wet carpet you know <laughs> like like it's like humidity that it hasn't been let go for a while but it's like so old and like kind of real musty grandma no i don't mm. want it to be like that this is my dining room it's really it's i hope hopefully it's done tastefully but that those were my inspirations but i started doing more research on like looking up like you said wallpapers and textiles and different fabrics and what i wanted to do and just more inspiration on pinterest of course and it led me to this article on paris green and i'm like ooh, what's paris green thinking it's just like a color it's you know, got to be a really beautiful green. And then I end up down the rabbit hole. And then I was starting, 
this could be my drag name. This could be my <laughs> roller derby name. This, and then I was like having fantasies of like, I'm changing my name to Paris Green because this is absolutely fascinating. This is a color and it's poisonous. This is like the essence of me. So I fell down the rabbit hole. I start reading about Paris Green, which is basically a close cousin of another green called Shields Green, which started this movement basically in the early 1800s. Um, so this green was actually developed in the 1700s, 1775, by a guy named Victor Scheel. Hold on, in my pages and pages of notes. Carl Wilhelm Scheel. And he basically created this green almost accidentally. He was working on color. Um, he had developed a yellow uh, previously, but somebody stole the patent. So I think he was really mad and he was really trying to find something new. Can you say that he was like turning green with envy? <sighs> <laughs> so what happened was, why that's important is that he he knew that his green color was poisonous, but I think he was just like, I have to make my money back because I missed out on that opportunity. So there are letters that actually document him saying to a friend, like, look, I know that this is poisonous, but I kind of got to put this out there. I kind of got to make money. I got to eat. You know? And it worked. It was this green that no one had ever seen before. It was such a pure green with no dull or gray or brown undertones. It was not, not a blue side of green mm. or a yellow. It was really a true green. And we're also in the time period of romanticism. So we're still in that awe of nature period. We're also, you know, in the industrial revolution where everything is kind of gray and dingy. And so bringing in nature is really important for the Victorians right now. And finding that green, everyone just latched onto it. And most people did know the dangers of it. So in what this was put in is textiles. So people's clothes. Dresses, curtains, wallpaper, um, even in, like we were saying, food coloring, um, lozenges. It was, you know, it, it was in everything. It was everywhere. The thing is that I don't blame them because you, you kind of like need to really think like how deep this shade of green is. It's like wearing an, an emerald as your coat. Yeah, well, the Paris green was a little more emerald in, in color and that was developed a little bit later. But it was still just as poisonous. They're they're considered to be close cousins. So, like I said, they, everybody does know that this is poisonous and not great for us. But I'm going to share a couple of actually known deaths that happened because of Shields Green or Paris Green. So the first one that we know of is a 19-year-old woman named Matilda Schurer. And she died in 1861. And she actually was a, a flower maker. She made fake flowers, which I, as we were saying, like the romantics really were trying to bring in nature to their home. And so fake flowers. You know what? Sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, but uh, it's always so sad because, you know, they, she was so young, like 19, you said? 19. Working probably in a factory among the, the powder and using the power to coat the petals. And basically, the the really sad thing is that her her death her death was widely publicized. Like so, again, everybody knew the dangers of this. But I'm going to read you what what was said about her when when she was ill. It okay. said 
that she had vomited green waters. The whites of her eyes had turned green, and she told her doctor that everything she looked at was green. And her autopsy also confirmed that there was arsenic in her stomach, liver, and lungs. So she had a very awful and painful death, is what we're saying, too. You know, yeah, like, and, and again, like, you can imagine, like, this is like a girl that is like 19 years old. Uh, under, like, the standard, the average circumstance, like, you would think of them as a healthy, like, put-together person, like, in the prime of their lives. And that she died such a horrible way, like, uh, with this particular green, like, just infecting all her body. You know, that got me thinking when I, like, was reading on that, uh, on, on that, like, vision of, like, the eyes tinted in green and, and like, the skin, like, with that pungent color. Like, how often do we depict, like, sickness on media, like, video games or cartoons? It's, like, by putting them, like, colored green. Yeah, it's true. I think even sent you tonight when I was when was that? Was it in my 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 post with the the vomit emoji? Right, it's all green, and then there's like the the other sick emoji that's green. Like you think about like uh, why would the witch be green? Like why would a witch like an old lady like would be like put as, as a green witch from the west? Right? Yeah. Like it's it's not it's not green because she's like a, you know like a shining emerald. No. It's, <laughs> Is the arsenic throw like like the character is telling you like this person is so weak that that they're like literally like dying out of arsenic poisoning? Well, that's interesting though. Like I've never even put that together before with Wizard of Oz with the Emerald City and that she's green, but she's like the sick side of green, and the Emerald City is like the pretty emerald. Ooh, there's got to be some deeper stuff there. That's interesting. I love the Wizard of Oz. It's one of those like pieces of media that you can dissecting in so many points of views like oh you want to make this an allegory for like marxism mm. let's go there buddy mm-hmm. i was even just watching something else today on it and we were talking about the the presence of the witch yeah. in horror and the development of it over time and that the 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 character of the witch has this um kind of gets like a shitty deal because of the wizard of oz for a while in like the earlier part of the the 20th century because people have this idea of the witch as being very childish and very uh, associated with fairy tale and not with horror and so it takes a while for us to kind of get back almost like getting closer to the Blair witch mm-hmm. as far as that when we get to like the ghost witch figure when the witch kind of returns you know the thing is that the character of like witch as as witch's character it comes in many flavors but the two that I definitely see rising in like the Blair Witch Project and even like further where like the witch as a true evil and like scary entity, but also like the witch as as either the anti-hero or all all the way to the hero to like the cool character. Like when you really think mm, like, um, like Sabrina or even like the movies from the 80s, like uh, I forget the name. Mm. You're going to kill me. Like these three witches are like um, practical magic, witches of Eastwick. No, 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 no. Charm. No. Um, Charmed the show or no. the craft? The craft, sorry, my bad. Ah, like, the craft. Like, that's nineties. Yes, yeah, that's nineties. Yes, like, like that one, the, the the witch is getting like cool, you know, empowered. Right then, yeah. we get into like female empowerment. Yeah, totally different. But yeah, okay, it's very interesting. What I was watching today on the witch, I was like, this is very cool. I'll link the uh, the book of the author that I was that I was watching today. It was very interesting. 
But back to people who died from green poisoning. Um, besides poor little Matilda, we also have someone that we all know who is, and this is a speculation, and maybe you've heard this before, but it was speculated that Napoleon was also, that he also died because of Shields Green. Now, that is not proven. That is a theory. And I'm going to read you something that is really interesting about Napoleon's death. I remember when I was a kid, my grandpa would tell me the stories of like, ah, Napoleon, he, he was he was poisoning his meals. Everyone knew they could not tolerate him. He was mm. fed. And he was like, actually, they even know that the dead was called from like uh, the component. Huh. Well, that only goes further to prove my theory because there are so many theories of how he died, but really they all do circle around poison. So Napoleon himself feared he was dying of stomach cancer because that was actually what killed his father. Um, And his autopsy did reveal that his stomach was very damaged and he had one ulcer. So his stomach pains were because, you know, of that. But also he had Shields green wallpaper and he had arsenic in his system he was actually tested. His body was exhumed like 19 years after um, his death, I think, because he wasn't buried in France. So France wanted him back. And when they exhumed his body, he was barely decomposed. Like he was hmm. still preserved. And they were saying that was because of, if you remember, I mentioned antimony earlier as another preservative in um, pigments. So you know napoleon we know makeup textiles all kinds of colorings this was also in his system i I need to give some 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 points to whoever designed the wallpaper because how practical that after that thing is gonna kill you it becomes like a body preservative so you're gonna kill me but you're gonna make sure that my body is rocking i'm kind of into becoming a mommy okay so remember what we said earlier about the heavy metals and what we're talking about is bioaccumulation so it's not just exposure to these heavy metals because that's fine but it's over time and repeatedly now napoleon's wallpaper is really interesting because his wallpaper was saturated with this green so they took a scrap Mm. of his wallpaper that was actually found in a scrapbook many many years later um and an italian team went to test it and it had 0.12 grams of arsenic per square meter okay and 0.015 so much much less grams per square meter are determined to be hazardous so he is well into poisonous wallpaper territory nice you know how like magazines had like uh, that uh scratch and sniff sample here was like a scratch and die sample you know like Ooh, arsenic. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, don't lick the walls. Yep. What are you doing licking the walls? And just as like an, one last little side note is that another um, dress that was found from this era, from the, the Victorian period around like the 1830s, actually had about um, enough arsenic to kill 20 people. You know... I also did a little bit of research on arsenic green in particular. And here's the thing. The, that pigment was not cheap. It was actually kind of pricey for the time. 
So maybe before, but this one, this one was made so it was cheaper. That's why it was more readily available after. Yeah, but no, it still was like only used by like upper class people. And the thing mm. is that the concentration of this green pigment, like the more you had, the more you could show off, the wealthier you were and in social environment. Mm -hmm. So you want to throw like the baller party, you could get like your dance room covered with like the thickest glazed green wallpaper to show off like that you got bling, you know, mm -hmm. and you got the money. And because it was very shocking, like you were saying, this was a color people had not seen before. And so if you had the means and the access to it to show it off, you were a showstopper. People were looking at you like, you look like real ivy. You look like nature. You look like outside. Like, how is how are you even making that saturated color? And that was what was desirable. It's kind of like, I don't know, maybe not now, but maybe... In the early 2000s when like tanning was cool and it was like, oh, how did you achieve such a perfect golden tan? You know, it was like spray tan. It's kind of like. How did you okay. make it to look like a dentist leather seat? Mm. Yeah, like an old baseball mm. glove now. <laughs> so last thing I'll say about green, um, unless you have something else too, but basically green is a complicated color more than people think it's not as natural as we all think and i found it really interesting yeah. that like you i think you were alluding to this before that they pick like their colors of the year all these paint companies so it was in 2017 pantone another paint company chose green as its color of the year to promote yes. eco-friendliness but now we're back there again 2022 color of the year from benjamin moore is a green it's a sage green it's not a bright green it's called october mist i'm very familiar with it as i said i used to work for said company but it's more like a sagey kind of green but this is all about because of the plague that shall remain nameless uh, we're all in our homes craving nature trying to bring in the natural and here we are again but green has not become really any less complicated or less damaging to the environment to make because Ironically, green is made with pigment green number seven, it's called, which contains chlorine. So it cannot be recycled or composted safely still to this day. So in our pursuit for the natural, we ultimately harm the environment, harm ourselves. And in an article I was reading from the Paris Review, I'm going to quote this because it's so good. Our willingness to kill ourselves, to replicate nature, rather than simply engage with it, is what we're looking at here. Wow. That, that, is, that is so strong and so deep. And, like, the, the, sorry, the things that you said, so many, like, cool data right now that I'm like, <laughs> wow, which one I'm going to pick from? But, <laughs> but no, like, totally, you're totally right. Like, and on top of that, like, green is a very complicated subject matter in, like, uh, color theory and in um, even in like media studies, uh, because to begin with, green. So our eye that catches the light and perceives colors has these different cones that can perceive different uh, tones. Green is like in the middle. So we as humans see the biggest range of greens. Oh, like that is a fact. Green is like the color that we see the most of. Oh, uh, so if you really think about that, like the combinations and like where you draw a meaning to another thing changes. Wow. 
Do you think, is that like a survival thing, you think? Like when we... Oh, yes, of course, of course. I can only imagine that like in order to forage semi-decently out there, mm -hmm. you need to like be very acute to like all the different shades and colors. Mm -hmm. And also for like the opposites, like red is in immediate danger. Like right. out of all the green, I see red mm -hmm. out. Opposite, get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just tapping it. I'm always thinking of like, you know, when you say like media marketing and like when you go to the grocery store, I think everybody knows this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. You know, there, there's a reason that when you walk in the grocery store, you're facing the fruit and vegetables, right? And all of the beautiful colors. It's, yeah. it's triggering your brain to get hungry and want food. Yep. And to be like, uh, you know, the lighting on those places is not arbitrarily put. They always put it like the one that makes on the fridges the food look fresher, which is like a colder light yeah. than on the main like uh, ales. That is like a warmer, like get feel comfy, comf like uh, warm, exactly. like look at our freshly breads and like look at our like luscious tomatoes. Too bad it's mm. not working on me because I still hate going to the grocery store. <laughs> I am going to lie to you. I love going to the grocery store. Like I know to me, you do. an evening is going to the grocery store. Yes, please sign me up. Let's walk through every single aisle and laugh at the boxes and like look at that label. It has like a funny name. I like, want that. I, I wish I had that, that I enjoyed it, but I just hate the grocery store. I just I hate going grocery shopping. I love eating. Don't get me wrong, but I just hate going to the grocery store. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I try to gamify it like get a co good coffee before i go or like wear my headphones nothing works i just want to get in and get out i don't enjoy it at all anyway okay where was there or spin the wheel you know spin the wheel are we going off the wheel do we have any tones or shades to talk about you know there are very common uh shades out there that like people that have research into the topic that they always come in like titanium white uh i'm just gonna like pretty much glance over it really quickly so titanium white is made with a, a lead and lead poisoning is something that we humans have been very familiar with for a long time. Like the Romans were like putting it under wine to spike it up. Uh, we used to make our pipes for running water out of, out of lead, you know. So we've known that itself like was not exactly good eventually. Uh, but people would not care. They still saw this particular white made out of titanium white and they would go out of their way to buy the pigment Grind it by hand, mixing it with the binder, getting all the dust there floating in the air, sniffing in, you know, letting the artist come through. And it did come through because this white produced quite the illness. Like it gave you like very strong colics, like and and pretty much like gut pains all around, like just like crunching onto your bowels, like until you want to scream and cry. Mm -hmm. And uh it was kindly named like a painter's colic, actually. Now we know it as a plumbism, but it's an effect of like, a, yep, painter's lead. So that is one. Uh, yeah, even like plumb, a, the the Latin or the elemental word like for lead is plumbum. So that makes sense. Yep. Okay. But I mean, uh, in like all of these, in what is, there's another word I was just Saturn, Saturnism is another word for lead poisoning and that's um connected to like i guess what you what did you call it painter's poisoning painter's colic painter's colic okay and i mean it makes sense you know it's like if suddenly you see like uh, the weaver of the town with a strong arthritis like you say oh it's the weaver's disease 
Right. And you suddenly see that the painter is always complaining that, ah, oh, my stomach hurts. And like, you know, puking white. You mm. name the, the disease after him. Yeah, he's having pain, painter's colic. Well, that's that's the Van Gogh thing, right? Like that was, he. we didn't even know what was going on with him. There were so many things they could, they like they guessed that it was um, bipolar, schizophrenic. I heard a better um, one. I heard things. a better story, even so better. Like they say that yes, indeed, Van Gogh was uh, depressive and he was in a poor mental state, but that he was not mm -hmm. necessarily suicidal. But through an mm -hmm. old event of like shenanigans that happened in a farm field, he found two kids playing with a gun that one took from the other one's house. And while trying to wrestle the gun out of his hand, he got shot by accident. But he never told anyone because he didn't want the kids to get in problems because they were kids just playing and fooling around. So he instead, like, uh, fake his dead and, like, uh, make all these, like, believe me, there is, like, a whole, like, uh, strain of theory. Wait, wait, what was Van Gogh doing, like, in a field and, like, hanging out with kids with guns? That seems a little far fetched. No, 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 no. He was on the field uh, painting because that's what uh, Van Gogh did. Okay. He went out and he painted. Okay. And then he just found, like, the two kids, like, playing on the, on the field. You know, people back there, in their, when they had childhoods, they would go out and play on the fields and, like, get on the grass. What? Go outside? That's what my parents no. told me. This is, a, this is an old wives' tale you've brought me here this time. <laughs> um, colors, I have plenty. You know, I have my wheel of colors, and all of them have a one story. I know you do. You, you always tell me fascinating stuff about color. I was just going to mention something about white that's kind of... It's just interesting. Like we even talked about this last time when we were talking about that the the reach for white, you know, with to get white teeth was a status symbol. To have also white clothing is the same. It's a status symbol because how impossible is it? We're talking I'm gonna take us now way past the Victorian period to the medieval period, when you have laundresses so these women oh, yes. who were actually women who were in charge of washing your garments mostly your linens technically comes from actually being 100 percent linen underclothes that you would wear under your wool outer clothes and the linen if you wanted to get it white was tricky of course because soap was tricky so they've got kind of like two or three kinds of soap going on in Europe at the time. If you were lucky enough to live kind of near the Mediterranean, you had this soap that was combined with olive oil, which is really like our Castile soap today. Castile, like Castellano, right? Like, oh, can, I, can I try to guess the next type of soap? Okay. Pig fat with ashes. That is another, yes. So that's your yes. tallow soap, right? Mm. And then we also have a lye-based soap, which comes, again, from wood ash and water. And... There's kind of two kinds of this. There's liquid versions of this. And if you can get the, there's a, a black, a white, and a gray. And these are all depending on how much money you have. If you can afford the white liquid lye-based soap, good for you. You have whiter linens, but also your laundress woman is going to experience really horrible chemical burns on her hands from dealing with this soap. So there you go. But you will have beautiful white linens. I can't wait to just leave a skid mark on one of them. <laughs> just, just like, just like, imagine how much of a bastard you need to be. Like, you see the linen handed to you by this poor peasant woman with her burned and blistered hands, turned now white and pale from the bleach she's been dipping them on. Here, sir, please put a skid mark on it. 
yeah. screw royalty man screw day royalty. one and it's done yeah and then it's yeah she's got to truck it all back to the laundry area the next week so white is a really interesting one as like pristine clean um and as that status symbol it's very interesting and I was I was going to mention this, but I think we might save this for another episode because I think this could get even bigger is talking about the colors of bridal dresses and how we got to white nowadays compared to where we used to be. So that's a whole other area. Mm-hmm. But it comes it gets a little morbid. Don't worry. It gets morbid. <laughs> how about how about like we open it a little bit because I know nothing about uh, bridal dresses. How about like bridal traditions? Yes, exactly. But and that I mean, and that's where it is going to come from. There are a bunch of like wedding traditions and things again that get a little morbid, which is pretty awesome. Ooh. Okay, so what have we covered? We've covered green, blue, red. We talked about white. We covered kind of went over a little bit of yellow. Do we need okay. to talk about I'm gonna, orange? I'm going to talk. Sure, talk us about orange. I don't know anything about orange. You don't know anything about turmeric? Like, does it get oranger than turmeric for a long time? What did we do? No, there gets there is one in particular. You see, like a true orange is just like you're just mixing your yellows and reds. Do we have a true orange? You think to think about it in pigments as not all pigments are gonna work for all the objects. There are some objects that require special types of pigments in order to color the material itself. Like uh, glass, for example. Oh. In order to color glass, you need to use a specific type of sand and a pigment that gets mixed into the molten mix of uh, the sand crystals to produce the colors, right? Oh. And early in the, I believe it was in the ni- in the 20th century, they found this one pigment that was made with a, uh, in theory, reduced version of uranium. Oh. The radioactive material. And it produced these very beautiful and uniquely scenes, yellows, orange, and red. But the orange is the most famous one. Uh, it was a very common to see like whole sets of dishware with this fancy orange. And it was an orange that it was like having like almost like a glow effect to itself. So you're coming out of like the like World War One, and you see these like beautiful orange things. You want them, and people were like having them, and nowadays they even had to recall them and like classify them as they're safe to keep on display, but don't eat from them. That, that's awesome. Like that's just—I don't even. Yeah, I'm just thinking day glow orange. That's what comes to mind. But is that like when you were talking about? So what did you say? Uranium. Uranium. Yes, this was one that it was a radioactive media. There is another one, like that is uh, the case of the radium girls. That is that's, that yeah, is an infamous case. Before. Yes, that glows too. So the yeah, the matter of fact is that like, when they discovered radium with Marie Curie, they uh, the discovery was made uh, a huge boom. It was like this thing that is sparkling in the night. They were using it for absolutely everything: toothpaste, hand creams, lotions, paint pigments. Uh, oh. It was like radium. It was like a radiator, the drink to like make you sparkle. You know, it was that kind of vibe. Like, it was like a kale a couple of years ago. <laughs> it was good for everything. It's like kale and quinoa. It's all the rage. Um, yeah, I was reading that 
like you were saying, the radium girls working in watch-based factories. Is that what was happening? And they would sit and they would also put it on their nails. They would put it on their lips so they would glow. So the story goes that um, the U.S. government requires all the uranium because of the war. And they only hired the paint companies to produce material for the war efforts. And the main use for that radium pigment was to paint the watch faces so that they could see the times of the operations at night in the trenches without alerting the enemy. When the war finishes, they still uh, have a, like a military concession. And because it was a wartime, it was very glamorous to work in the war effort. And as an extraneous work, it was not bad because you were sitting all day just with the uh, brush strokes. And it was made with a technique that called for like finding the tip with your lips, just like mm, right, and right. You give it a little kiss Licking and you the brush. Mm, you make the the fine point tip. Mm. I'm not gonna lie, I've done it. I've had my fair taste of like different pigments. They're all tasty and yummy. Uh, but they're basically like microdosing on radium all day well, as they paint these watch faces. If I if memory serves right, they were expected to paint around. 250 watches a day. So it was a long shift. And honestly, they say that it even paid very well for the time. So. Well, I hope so. Because I'm sure their lives are cut short. Oh, and on top of that, they would mostly try to hire young ladies and teenagers because they had finer hands. Here we go again. This is, that's probably how little Matilda got her job too. So you imagine this little like 19 year old girl who's a teenager like and suddenly has this like paint that makes anything it touches glow like fairy tale kind of magic. And then on top of that, you're actually like being praised because you're like helping on the war effort for the boys and mm -hmm. you're getting money, like good money because that job pays very well. Like it becomes like a status symbol and people were looking for them. Like they were like young, pretty ladies that were like covered in money and they glow in the dark like what else do you want <laughs> young pretty ladies that glow in the dark yeah the perfect woman you're right that is so fascinating is there like not a movie or documentary on them i've got to look again because that's just too interesting there is quite a lot of resources about it that like go in depth like uh, there are like a couple of uh, other podcasts like and then of course like just to like wrap up the story the radium pigment they were using was highly toxic, carcinogenic, and would seep into the bone and prevent the structure from, like, keeping stable. So they would, like, make holes in tissue. And you would see that these ladies were, like, uh, suddenly, like, breaking their back because the bones on the spine would, like, give out. Or, like, uh, you know, the wrist would, like, suddenly break at a, like, slightly, like, brush. Oh, no. Or... The most common one was that their jaws would fall off their skulls oh, because no. that's where the paint is like seeping in. What? So the pretty ladies only were like, uh, you know, jaw dropping. <laughs> I'm not laughing. <laughs> that is like, that's literally horrifying. Like when you're talking with these like beautiful women helping the war effort that glow in the dark. That glow in the dark. And then. They have these, like, their bones start cracking, crippling, and their jaws fall off. Like, I'm just, yeah, my mind is blown. This is, I hope this, this is going to inspire a lot of people, I think, to make some pretty gruesome, gross art. Oh, yeah. And honestly, there's, like, a, 
another whole story about like the trial, like when they tried to sue the company. Oh, it gets all like Aaron Brockovich. You, you, the, the, there's a whole rabbit hole there, like about workplace like uh, uh, negligence. Uh, you know how oh. like uh, the women were not taken into account when it was like about uh, health and safety issues. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that they were like uh, teenage girls, like I don't know, there's like a you you can really go in depth about the radium girls. Super interesting. Well, I'm going to find some resources that we can send people to if they want to read more about them because I'm going to go read more about them. But uh, I think I think we covered all of our colors for now. And then I think this is going to branch off into a lot more ideas, though, in the future, for sure. Yes, certainly. Like, you know what? There's more like uh, materials that we can talk about that are like poisonous, deadly. Well, thanks for listening. And we really appreciate all of the support we're getting on uh, all of our social media platforms, especially on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. But please know you can also check us out on Patreon. We have a group over there where we answer Q&A. We're hanging out with artists and writers and talking about these topics more in depth. And we're even like giving some feedback on some art and artwork. So we would love to hear your ideas over there. And we are also on uh, Buy Me a Coffee. So if you just like what you heard today and just want to give us a little shout out support, we would really appreciate it. And you can buy us a coffee and um, support us that way. Come on, support your starving artist so he doesn't have to buy the cadmium ray. Mm, the delicious, <laughs> delicious cadmium ray. Now, honestly speaking, just like uh, thank you very much like uh, with the socials and for sharing this. What we want to do is like provide this morbid content. And whatever comes from it is highly appreciated from the bottom of our hearts, mm-hmm. our cadmium tainted hearts. <laughs> Please give us a like and a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, play us on Spotify. Show it to your children. Even uh, though Spotify's got its issues right now. But yeah, you can listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us everywhere you listen to podcasts. Well, we're out. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Ciao.